Now, don't you feel foolish. <laughs> oh, from that hotbed of sin and degradation. Greenwich Village comes, and for the first time in broadcasting history, we are going to give you a play-by-play -play account of a genuine orgy. Listen carefully, and you will hear the sound of goatish cries of primal passion. You want to try for a minute here, fellas? Let's hear it. Come on. <laughs> I'll tell you, nothing is more heartwarming than to see a lady with her hair up in curlers with rimless glasses, holding a glass of lemonade, giving us a practice cry of goatish passion. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you, we, we're, just not, we're just not up to... By the way, before we get ready to go tonight... Are you aware that this is National Tavern Week? How are you going to celebrate it? <laughs> you know, it's terrible, all the things you've got to celebrate. It's National Tavern Week. It is National Used Car Month. That's one to give you pause, isn't it? National Used Car... And, one, and a lady wrote to me a letter, and she says, Dear Mr. Shepherd, it is now National Tavern Month. And she says, it's also National Senior Citizens Month. I am 76. How am I going to celebrate? She says, is the bartender going to buy me a drink? Or shall I buy a drink from him and we'll get smashed together? So these, these problems constantly battle back and forth here in America because we live in a country that believes in celebrating. It's Saturday night. And Saturday night in America is a special night. Can you just picture it now? Are you aware that out there in the darkness there are countless souls just, just watching turnpikes, just waiting for it to happen, waiting for that instant of total bliss? How many of you have got the sense that you're ad-libbing your life? <laughs> and that you haven't yet started in the main part? <laughs> Hear that? Nervousness does that. Oh, yeah, we score. You know, speaking of, of, of this, this, this ad-libbing life, I'm coming down tonight, you know, and it's warm and soft, and oh, boy, what a great night. And all around me on 7th Avenue are these cars full of these kids in white coats, you know, with the boutonniere, the little, the cummerbund. And the chick sitting next to him with the 1495 Macy special. And she's looking a little nervous. And you can see her corsage flapping in the breeze. They're on their way to that big moment. Well, I get over here in the garage, see. About six of these kids walking around their white coats, all of them nine feet tall. And the girls are little short, fat, bowling balls with feet, you know. And one of the kids, let me tell you what happened. One of the kids, you know, big lunky kid, see, he's all dressed up and he's got his formal clothing on. You know, you know, when, when you put formal on, you are formal, see. And he gets out of the car and he walks a little bit. And all of a sudden he turns and he looks up and above him in the garage is one of these fluorescent lights. And suddenly he stopped being formal and became a kid. He, got, he starts to dribble, see. He's just got a little piece of paper. He dribbles and he hooks it over his shoulder like that. And I said, you missed. The guy looks back at me and he says, oh, oh, yes. Then he became very formal, walked away. Okay, how many... Now, I, that's, a, that's a male thing. That's a, a true male thing, the informal athletic game. 
you know, just suddenly springs out. And I saw this kid, see, and I suddenly realized, man, I, I, there's something that I have never told that is still a scandal. How many of you have ever done something that you've never mentioned at all because it was so illegal? Yeah, let's let little giggles back there into the moose head. No, I mean, we've all got them, see? And one time, me and Schwartz and Flick... What is it, the hamburger coming up or what? His glasses are a little clouded now. He realizes I'm a pro, see? You know, me and Schwartz and Flick, you know, we're, we're, we're seniors in school and we have been kind of exemplary, you know? We've never been kicked out. <laughs> you ever been kicked out of school? <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you how I got kicked out of school. Ooh, boy. And it was about two months before graduation. You know, graduation is like, like that, you know, it's, it's some kind of thing way up at the top of that mountain. And for years, you keep going towards it, you know, when I graduate. That's one of those words you use all the time, you know, when I graduate... You know, when I get big. Remember when you used to say that? When I get grown up, when I get big, well, here you are. <laughs> and you're still sitting around in your duff, you know, waiting for it to happen, see. And, and we were always saying, well, we're going to graduate. And now it's about two months before graduation. And it was an absolute kind of a, a little animal thing that said inside, way inside all of us, don't rock the boat now. I mean, play it close to the vest. And so it's getting closer. Our graduation was the middle of June. It was now about the first week or maybe the second week of May. It was a beautiful sunny day out. And the trees are getting green. And you can feel that breeze blowing in through the Venetian blinds. And even Mrs. H. McCullough, better known as Helen or Hell on Wheels McCullough, she was beginning to sprout. You could see the sap coming up, you know. There was just the slightest touch of color in her cheeks that showed she really was alive. We didn't believe it for years. Then she was beginning to look kindly down on the seniors. And we were up on the third floor. You got the picture? It's a big high school. Three floors. And it had these big wings, you know, 3,000 kids. And on each wing, they had all the lockers. Do you remember your high school locker? You really remember it? That's something, you know, very... Here was Schwartz and Flick and Bruner. We had our three lockers. Four years. We have hung stuff in there. And after four years, you know, a locker is a very personal thing. It gets to have... It, ha it kind of has your... The aroma of you about it. <laughs> yeah, you know, you could... You could kind of old sandwiches are decaying down there. And each kid had his own particular smell, you know. Some kids lived on peanut butter and jelly all through their high school career, you know, and they had a special smell in their locker. I, I lived on salami and grape jam. I had a very ripe locker, see? And it depends on what you did. Now, if you played, if you were an athletic type, and I played football, you had all kinds of stuff which we can't mention here. Down on the bottom of your locker, see? And it was fermenting, you know? Oh, yeah, all kinds of stuff, old, you know, old sweat socks and other things, you know. And so every day, Schwartz and Flick and I would come up, 
you know, we got our books. It's in between the second and the third period. And we'd come up, we'd open our lockers, and we'd stand and hang on the door, you know. Had dirty pictures inside. <laughs> talking, wise guys, you know. We're tough, you know. We're the big seniors. There are a couple of little freshmen over there. Every day like this. And underneath all this effluvia, once in a while, you'd pull out your spicy western. Or these little magazines, you know, these little blue ones? You ever seen those? <laughs> oh, boy. If Miss McCullough knew what kind of literature was really controlling the minds of her class. And, you know, we're standing back there by our lockers one day. And we notice there's a bunch of workmen. And they're putting in new lights. Up to this point, we had this, you know, those kind of lights with the big chain. And it had this great big, like, glass mushroom hanging down, see? <laughs> you know, nothing light, see? And they're taking them down. And now they are putting these very jazzy modern lights in. See, they've got these two brass rods. And on the brass rod on the bottom is this big, this big brass kind of tureen, see, with a big brass knob, and it was indirect lighting. And so I'm standing there, and Schwartz is looking up. Flick says, huh, they're not so bad. And I said, yeah, they're pretty good. And Schwartz, being a true male type, already the lights are up over us. He takes a piece of waste paper and he goes, dunk -a -dunk -a -dunk -a -dunk. like that, see? And it goes up off the ceiling, makes two quick hops, and canned it. <laughs> he canned it, you know, right in. Flick says, well, I'll be doggone. You think you're good, huh, Schwartz, okay? Like that, ding, ding, boy, in it goes. Well, there's about ten minutes of quick basket shooting, and the bell rings, and off we go. Well, from that day on, every time we're by our locker, we have this little game, and we keep score, you know. You know, Schwartz cans a two-pointer. If you went like this, it's one point. Over the head, it's two. If it's a rebound, it's a one-pointer. If it's right in, you know, if you can it, it's a two-pointer. We had all these complicated rules, see. So we play this all the way up to about the end of May. And now we are having graduation exercise. Do you remember when you practiced your graduation? And you go out and you sit down in the auditorium. And they say, now when you come in, you march this way, pomp and circumstances. Da, 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 da. The products of Miss Crystal Reader's biology class are marching out into the world. <laughs> to the sound of pomp and circumstances. <laughs> so every day we're rehearsing this thing. And we got our senior rings. And it's so close now you can taste it. And our game is getting hotter and hotter because we're getting better and better. And so we begin to try to play different lights. We got about six lights, you see. We're tossing up things in there. Every day we're getting excited. Well, one afternoon, here is where the denouement occurs. One afternoon, I'm sitting, one of those quiet days in class, you know, when your eyes are half closed. Can you remember days when you're so bored that your eyes just won't stay open? <laughs> you know that, that terrible feeling? Your eyes keep squinching up, then you sit up. And up there in the front is the teacher going blah, 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 blah. And you just, it's sort of a basic rhythm, you see. 
And after enough years of this, you can tell when the rhythm changes that means danger. <laughs> but, yeah, you, so you sit there, you're rocking on the waves of this trike that's coming out. You're blah, 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 blah. You're bobbing up and down. And all of a sudden it goes blah, blah, blah. Blah, 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 blah. And, you... and she's looking right at you. And you know she has asked you the question. Well, of course, after four years of this, you develop all kinds of shifty little decoys. Like, for example, uh, it depends on how you look at it. <laughs> or, uh, well, uh, that's debatable. And she says, what? She says, well, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a question that I uh, haven't really thought about. And you're sitting there bobbing up and down. It's one of those afternoons, see. I'm by myself in this class. Schwartz is about seven classrooms away. Flick is down in the boys' gym. We're just bobbing up and down the last few weeks of our senior year. We got it cool. See, it's made. And then all of a sudden, way off in the distance, we hear this doing, 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 doing. And with that, Miss McCullough says, fire drill, fire drill. All right, let's go. Come on, boys and girls. You know the fire drill routine, so we all start walking out, you know. And I get out in the hall, and I smell smoke. I smell smoke, you know. It's the real thing, you know. Miss McCullough's out there. She says, all right, let's go. All of a sudden, she panics. Miss McCullough took off this old doll. I never knew she wore tennis shoes on it. <laughs> Down the stairs she went. She's three blocks away, you know, by the time her... <laughs> you know, she'd been always the one for years saying, now the first thing, panic, walk in a straight line quietly. But so here we are now all hurrying out. You can smell the smoke. It's just sort of drifting around. We figure, well, it's a chemistry lab, see. <laughs> you know, LSD or something they're making. <laughs> It's the chem lab down there. So we all wander out. We're all standing around in front of the school. And there's nothing, see? There's the school. We're all standing, you know, in the hot sun coming down. And then it began to show. Have you ever actually seen slow little wisps of smoke coming out of the windows of your hated school? <laughs> yeah, it's actually coming out. And where is it coming out? The third floor. It's coming out of the wing where my locker contains my priceless collection of spicy westerns. And immediately I said, my library's burning up. <laughs> it's going up, you know. And, and I see it in smoke coming out. We don't think anything of it. We're standing there off in the distance. We hear, And 25 fire trucks, guys with axes go pouring out. We're watching, hoping that they won't make it. What a way to end your career, you know? We're standing there, and the guys pour in, and boy, you hear the glass going, and about 20 minutes later, out comes Mr. Spone, who was our principal. And by the way, Mr. Spone was absolutely, he was the kind of principal that is literally the archetype principal. Gray-haired, six feet nine. He wore gray suits. They even said that he wore gray BVDs. 
Yeah, you know the kind of guy you could hear chain mail rattling under his coat, you know? And Mr. Spone came out on the steps and he looks down over the assembled crowd. There were 3,000 kids. And he said, now I want all of you to file in quietly. There has been an unfortunate fire and some pupils in the school were responsible for it. I think, you know, I'm not in chem class. You know, I'm standing there. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I, it's great feeling innocent, isn't it? It's a wonderful feeling. How many times do you pick up the paper, you know, and on the third page it says, Axe Maniac slays seven. And you say, not me. No, no, I was in Pittsburgh that day, didn't No, sir. Boy. Yeah, that little feeling of innocency. And so I'm walking into the school, and, and you could smell the water and the smoke, and you could see all the junk all over the floor where they had chopped down the plaster and stuff. And so I go up to my locker, and they've got that entire wing is now roped off. I can't believe it. I am standing there over, looking over the ropes. There's a bunch of kids, you know, we're looking. And way down there are six lights. And the whole ceiling has been on fire. And we could see 495 ad-lib basketballs going up. We did it. Schwartz and Flick and Bruner. I was standing there looking down. We could see all that dirt and the crud, you know. And about five minutes later, I meet Schwartz downstairs outside of the, outside of the library. And I say, Schwartz, did you see what happened? And Schwartz, I didn't see a thing. <laughs> what? What do you mean? What? And just then you could see Flick coming down through the crowd. He's sort of, eh, eh, he's crying. Eh. I said, now look, now look. Now look, you guys, we're going to get out of this hole in about ten days. Now, if this thing comes out, we are sunk. And here's Flick. You know, Flick, Flick. For, he's got one of these tough old men. You know, his father was really tough. His father was the kind that when Flick came home with a B plus, would give him one the side of the ear that you'd hear for two blocks. I had the kind of father who vaguely was bugged because I was getting a high school education. <laughs> you know? And I was learning how to read too good and stuff. And Schwartz's father was the Olympian kind. He was the kind, I remember going to his house, you know, do you remember all the different fathers of the kids that you knew? Well, Schwartz's father was the Olympian one. Whenever we'd go to this house, his mother would immediately meet us at the door. She said, shh, your father's reading upstairs. He was always remote, see? He was always reading upstairs. And once in a while, she'd vary it. She'd say, shh, 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 shh. Your father's sleeping upstairs. And when, whenever Schwartz would go home, he would tiptoe up the front porch. Now, we had that kind of... So here are the three of us trapped. We had ten days to go. And so all afternoon... Oh, boy, am I scared. I'm sitting in study hall, you know, Mr. Wilson. I'm sitting there. I've got my, my civics book. I'm sweating. You know, I'm an arsonist now. You understand, I'm a top-flight criminal, see? I'm sitting there. And Mr. Wilson would walk up and down. You remember in study hall? Guy walks up and down. He'd stand and look. 
<laughs> and then you'd say, what the hell have I done now, you know? Uh, he'd walk up. He was one of those guys, and every time he'd walk, walk near me, I'd get this sick feeling. How many of you in recent years have had that sick feeling of about to be nabbed? <laughs> I mean, really bad. You know, ooh, I'm sick. I'm sick. And Mr. Wilson keeps walking back and forth. And then all of a sudden, the bell rings. Nothing. And now it's the next class. And now I'm sitting in Mr. Harris's health class. You remember taking health classes? They tell you to brush your teeth, wash your hands, all those things. They never talked about smoking. Or... And there were certain things he didn't discuss. I'll never forget one day Mr. Harris in health class says, there are other things which I would like to discuss with you fellas, but you'll find out about some of those when you get in the army. And all the girls looked around, what does he mean? What does he mean? <laughs> Mr. Harris was in the reserve, see. <laughs> he had just seen the movie that week. <laughs> it was fresh in his mind, you know, fellas. See? So it was that kind of world, you know. And, and, and I'm, I'm sweating all the way through the afternoon, and now it is the eighth period. You know, the eighth period, see, is the last period before you go home in our school. And the eighth class, I had another study hall. And it was one of those, you know, when you're a senior, you fill in a lot of stuff. You know, you, you filled in all your, your required things. You're taking real ridiculous little courses. I was taking a course in how to shop. You know, how to shop. And I remember I was sitting there looking at a, at a picture of a, of a slab of bacon. You know, I've never bought bacon since. There they go. <laughs> And I'm sitting there looking at this, and all of a sudden, Mrs. Breifogel, who is our teacher up there, comes walking back, and she's walking very fast. And I'm sitting there, oh, this is it. This is it. Oh, my God, no. No. And I'm studying. She comes right up to me, and she says, I think you might be going to give a speech at graduation. I'm going to give a speech? She says, yes. She walks away, and I thought, she's trying to fake me out. <laughs> that old biddy's laying a trap for me. The eighth hour rings, and boy, we go out. I go splitting out. You could still smell the smoke, see? And there's stuff trailing behind me, and they let us walk over the water and junk to get to our lockers. I didn't even look up, you know. <laughs> Next to me is Flick, you know. The three of us scurry out. The next morning we get to school. I sit down. I'm no longer... I'm, I'm, I'm not down 30 seconds. And Miss Snyder says, Gene... Oh, my God, this is it. She says, Gene, you're wanted at the office. <laughs> I said, all right. She says, no, it's all right. There's nothing wrong, I think. Well, ten minutes later, I am standing in the office. Do you remember being summoned to the office? I walk into the office, and there standing right by the desk is Schwartz and Flick. And the three of us stand there, you know. And we, we even put on clean clothes so we couldn't smell the smoke. You know, we're standing there, and all of a sudden, out of the, out of the side door comes Mr. Spohn. 
And Mr. Spohn says, I want to speak to you three. We walked in and sat down. He says, you three are the seniors up there on the third floor. Did any of you see anything the afternoon of the fire? And I went, no, oh, no. And Flick just said, no. And Mr. Spohn says, all right, call in the next three, Miss Manson. We were home free. Woo! We'll be back in five minutes. sorry for what I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I'm very sorry what, what actually happened here. We can't tell you. <laughs> I realize there are women and children, and I'm very sorry, and I want to apologize for the people here who acted so disgracefully during it. <laughs> I'm just awfully sorry, and that was, a, that was a terrible demonstration. And if that breaks out again, I'm just going to switch it back to the studio, and we're going to play Mary Martin records. <laughs> I said Mary, now here, now easy there. <laughs> now wait a minute now. Now wait, hey, hey, just, just one, one, hold it, at ease, one minute, shut up. One minute now. I want you all of you to do something here for a second. Really, let's let's conduct a scientific experiment. Seriously. Man is a hissing animal. He really is. You always associate hate with hissing. You know, snakes go, ah. Boy, that's a great sound. You know that the first time I ever went to went to Europe, I was astounded. You go to a restaurant, and you know they hiss for waiters. Yeah, you know that? The waiters go along, you hear, and I turn around, I says, who's the smart guy here, huh? All right, now all together, let's hiss. Bring it up. Come on, come on, let's hear it. Woo! Look at that. Look at those rotten-looking faces. Come on, ooh. Listen to that hate. What a sick sound. Doesn't it feel good? <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, somebody here, when we were off the air, somebody says, tell, tell about the time, since this is used car month, tell about the time that Flick bought the used car that became a cause celeb. And this is a true story. You know, I always thought what a great, what a great little sequence this would make for one of these... You know one of these uh, gangster half hours on television? It was the first time and the only time that we ever came into contact with real gangsters. Real gangsters. You know, for years after I got out of Chicago, I'm a, the first time I, I never really realized that Chicago had an international reputation for gangsters until I got out of Chicago. And I'm in Red Bank one night. Red Bank, New Jersey. Oh, doesn't that warm you thinking of that? 
and I'm in the USO, see, and I'm, 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 I'm in the Army just a couple of months. And I walk in the USO, I walk up to the counter, and there's the chick, you know, she's got the donuts and the ham sandwiches and the small talk, and I got ideas, see. And I look at, oh, yeah, oh, no, I'm sorry, honey, that's just the way people are. And she says, oh, no. Oh, no? I've had my eye on her for half an hour. <laughs> look at, he's getting mad now. <laughs> and I'm, I, you know, I walk. <laughs> he's got, yeah, you got it. It's Tennessee Williams right here. I could see a future Virginia Woolf right here. All four of them. <laughs> well, anyway, I, I, I walk up to the USO counter, see? The chick's there. I've got my fresh new uniform on. You know, after a while, when you really get used to your uniform, it becomes part of you. You know, it's real. I've got it all cut and trimmed. I walk up to this chick, and she says, Hello, soldier. That's a hell of a name. You know, but, you know, you accept it after a while. She says, hello, soldier. What do you have? I swell a uh, ham sandwich. And she says, would you like some coffee? Says, okay. So I got the coffee. I got the ham sandwich. I'm standing there. And we're all alone in the USO. And I can hear the ping pong in the next room, see. And I'm standing there with her. And she says, uh... Where are you from? Only she used the jersey. Where are you from? Where are you from? And I said, Chicago. And she backed away. I said, what's the matter? She said, nothing, nothing. You sure you don't want another sandwich or something? I said, yeah, I'll have another sandwich. She said, here, take them all, all of them. Here, you want the donuts? Here, all of them, you know. Here, take the coffee urn, see. Take me, you know. And I, I, I didn't know what it was all about. You know, I'm this, you know, this skinny little G.I. I says, well, what's the matter? She says, nothing, nothing. I said, come on, what's the matter? But she says, well, my mother told me about Chicago. I said, Chicago, what'd she tell you? You know, my mother had always been telling me about Chicago, too. By the way, did your mother ever warn you about flesh pots? <laughs> All my life, I've been looking for a flesh pot. <laughs> All I see are crummy little joints, you know. Wouldn't you like to open a joint called flesh pot? <laughs> and have the sign meat color, you know flesh pot and have purple lights in there. Oh, wow. So I say to her, I says, what's what's with the Chicago thing? And she says, well, do you know any gangsters? Well, now, immediately my mind clicks. Do I know gangsters or don't I? Which way will it work best? So I say, oh, yeah. I'm thinking, of course, of Alec Farkas, who was the tough guy in our neighborhood. I mean, every male in this room grew up in a block where there was at least one kid who every time he passed another kid just hit him in the mouth. You know, 
just kept walking. We had Alex Farkas, you know, Farkas would go bang like that. And it got so you kind of, you kind of looked forward to it, you know? If Farkas walked past, you'd say, what's the matter, Al? You mad, Al? You're not hitting me, Al? Well, Alec Farkas was our gangster, see? He was, you know, just a tough guy. So I says, yeah, I know a gangster. He's got a gang. He's got Grover Dill. Old stinky Grover Dill. How many of you ever knew a bully when you were a kid? Well, Farkas was a bully. And like all true bullies, he had a toady. And his toady was Grover Dill with yellow teeth. He had this narrow face like a weasel and his nose run all the time and he had these two little watery blue eyes with little veins in them see and he's always saying go ahead hit him Al go ahead you know that was that was our pair see like that Farkas and Dill so I says yeah I know a couple of gangsters and she says do they have mouths (laughs) well (laughs) that's a moot question (laughs) I remember once seeing Farkas hit Esther Jane Alberry in the mouth. You know, know, it's a very moot question. So I began to realize at that point that gangsters were associated with Chicago. And I had never seen a gangster in Chicago. They would just walk around. They got a lot of cleaning joints. You know, taverns. And then they got taverns. And more taverns. And they got pool rooms. I never saw a gangster. Except for one moment, one instant, one special instant, and it's tied in with used car month. So any of you guys out there getting ready to buy a used car to celebrate used car month or bad valve week (laughs) or rotten transmission year, (laughs) we are going to tell you a story. You know, every kid in our neighborhood at about the age of 16... You could get your driver's license in Indiana at the age of 15. Because, see, that's the Midwest. And there's long spaces. Oh, boy, you know, it was nothing at all. I used to date a girl when I was 16. Every day I would get in my car and drive 45 miles. One way. Drive 45 miles back. And I had this Hudson Terraplane. And, the, and, and it had six cylinders, and only two or maybe three cylinders would work at a time. And so I used to pedal the car all the way. I'd pick her up and pedal all the way back. So that was the kind of life it was. And so at the age of 16, almost all of us got jobs. And we worked like slaves night and day. I delivered the Chicago Tribune in the morning. At night, I mowed lawns and sprinkled lawns. And one time, I took care of a pair of chows. I will never forget that. Ever since that time, I've hated dogs. Have you ever been, have you ever been looked in the eye by a chow? You know this kind of dog? These are meat eaters. They really are, and they don't care what kind of meat. They particularly like it if it moves. And every night, I would come down on this little kid, you know, and they had, they, they had these two... They, they, they were blood red. They were that dark red henna colored chows. And they had yellow eyes. And they were about that high. You know, with a big ruff. And they had this big mouth with these big white teeth. And they, they hooked them up down in the basement. They each had a leash. And they ran back and forth on a wire clothesline. These two chows. 
They just go like that, like a couple of lions. And, ah, ah, and I've got the crummy, rotten job of feeding these idiots. They were Heine Gertz's chows. My mother made me take the job because she liked Mrs. Gertz, Elaine, you know, the whole bit. And so every night I would come down into their house, uh, up, I, I'd open the back door, and then I'd hear them down there. You'd hear this rumble coming up out of their gut. <laughs> you could just hear them say, here he comes. You get him on that side, I'll get him on this side, I'll hit him high, you hit him low. We'll have pork chops today. <laughs> And I'm up there preparing their food. Now, I don't know whether you've ever prepared food for chows. You take a half a case of dog food. You open it all up and you put it in this tub. And you mix oatmeal with it and some blood. I stir it up, see? And I'm coming down with this thing and they watch. The two of them. Fangs. Like that. I'm walking up to them. All right, fellas. <laughs> Easy, boys. Easy. Easy, easy, easy. And they're at the end of their leash. And then they walk back to get another running start. It was like they talked to each other. All right, one, two, three. Wah! And the both of them would spring in the air at the end of their leash and they would stop. Boom! Right up in the middle of the air with the tub. <laughs> then I'd put it down and I'd slowly push it towards them with a stick. I'd push it up. And then they'd leap into this tub. Ah, and the blood and the guts flying. That's nice boys. That's nice fellas. And so every day from that time on, I hated dogs. And that was the kind of world it was. And that was the way I worked to earn my money. That, that kind of hellish job. One time I had a job working in Scott's Furniture. Have you ever worked in a used furniture place? What a sick job. He had three floors. And I can remember myself at the bottom of a refrigerator. Me, I weigh 84 pounds. And I'm pushing it up three flights of stairs. And on the other end of it is Schwartz pulling it. And we have a whole basement full of refrigerators to take from the basement to the third floor. Up this one little flight of steps. Sweat pouring down. Inch by inch. My knees are going lower and lower. Then finally we hit the top floor. Ooh. And Schwartz is laying on the floor. And then we'd slowly jockey it into position. It took us 40 minutes to get one refrigerator from the basement to the top. We were paid five cents an hour. Now, Mr. Scott had a Coke machine on the second floor. And every hour we would drink a Coke, which cost us five cents, or we couldn't go on for the next hour. So it was hour after hour. And then after we finished that, after four days, we had to take the entire second floor full of used pianos and put them down in the basement. Oh my God, what work. And so when you bought a car after working like that, man, this was, this was an object of love magnificent love and when every one of the kids would go out to buy his car he saved up 65 bucks we would all go with it was a big thing it was like uh, in indiana getting your first car is like getting born or getting married or dying 
I mean, it's one of the major things that happens to you in life. And so on this day, me and Schwartz and Flick and Bruner were all going to Stony Island Avenue to buy a car for Flick. All four of us. And we walked. Stony, in case you don't know what Stony Island is, Stony Island is the Vatican of the used car world. It is. It's where it all happens. It's the center of the used car world. It's like 400 miles of nothing but used cars. They've got friendly Fred. They've got Charlie, the hungry Armenian. They've got them all, all the way down with propellers and lights, you know, and blimps and zeppelins and the whole scene, flags and pennants and barkers out there. And we're walking, used car lot after used car lot. And about three hours after we started, we came on this car. Let me describe it to you. I'll never forget it. What a car. There it is. It's staying there, you know, on this gravel. It's been polished to the fine hone. And it is a Packard. A straight-eight Packard sedan. This car was about ten years old at least. Beautiful car, see. And it said on the sign, all over big whitewash, a steel. A steel. Little did we realize. It says a steel, 75 bucks. Here was this beautiful, it was midnight blue, and it was a four-door. And it had these doors, you know. When you saw one of those straight-eight Packards, you take the door, you know, and you didn't just, you know how today when you got a Chevy or a Ford or an Oldsmobile, you slam the door. You could not slam the door on, on a Packard straight-eight. It was like slamming the door on the vault in the mercantile bank building. Four of you would have to push it, you know. And then it would go, ooh. And then it, it, there would be this kadunk. And you'd feel the ground jiggle under you. Oh, what a car. See, so we're looking at this thing. Oh, what a magnificent car. It's got side mounts. A couple of big spare tires mounted in those fender wells, you know. And it's got this big sloping trunk and that long, narrow hood. The Packard had a hood that was about eight and a half feet long with that narrow Gothic grille. And we can't believe it. Flick says, look at that. And immediately, you see, because we all started to get jealous. Instantly. And I says, oh, that's... I'd rather get a Plymouth. I had Packard's. Who could? You ever ask a guy that owned one? Ha. Ah. By the way, that's why Packard went out of business. People did ask the guys who owned them. Nobody went back after that, you know. Here was this great car, and we kept looking at this thing. And the used car dealer came out immediately. He says, well, boys, how do you like it? It's a steal. Absolutely a steal. The gentleman who owned this car rarely drove it. He was in a business that he didn't do much driving. We look at this thing. And Flick says, what did he do? He says, well, we don't like to... These things are confidential, but suffice it to say, he didn't put much mileage on it. He went fast, though. It's a very fast car. Uh, this is exactly what happened. Later, it came out when the police asked us about it. And, and so we opened up the hood, and there it was. And you know, I had never seen a blown Packard. This baby's got a supercharger in it. 
which means that it gets about 0.3 miles to the gallon of gas. You don't know what a, what a supercharger is? Well, a supercharger is an extra motor that's hooked onto your motor that just drinks gas when it's asleep even. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there are some cars, you know, out in the garage, you can just hear them drinking. Just drinking it in, you know, laying it down. So we look over this package, see? And we're walking back and forth, and finally Flick says, I'll give you 65 bucks. The guy says, the price is 75. Flick says, well, I've only got 65. And he turns around and walks away. This is that old gimmick. He walks away and says, I'm sorry, fella. $75. And in the shack he goes. And now the four of us are walking around this thing. Flick says, anybody got any money? I says, yeah, I got a couple of dollars. Schwartz says, I'll bet it's got bad valves. I've got $5. And between the four of us, we scratched up $78. Flick takes the cash, walks towards the little white shack, that little window, knocks on it. The man sitting there smoking a cigar, listening to the White Sox. Real cool cat. He looks out, you know, he's got these two little cobra eyes. And you can see his hood opening. <laughs> you can see the fangs beginning to go. You can almost see the poison sacks if you look, you know. He starts weaving. He sees he's got us at the end of the rope, you know. And he says, okay, Just come in. We'll fill out the papers. And we sat down, and he started to fill out forms. And he says, now, you understand that this is cash, and you can't bring it back. He says, this car is worth at least 250 bucks. That's why it's for what I'm giving it to you. I says, yeah, yeah. You'd be surprised how quickly you fall into that trap of hell, friends. You'd be surprised how quickly you'll sell out your soul. We knew we were getting a car somehow that was kind of funny. You don't get packaged for that price. And he was letting us know that you don't get packaged for that price. And we were letting him know we knew we didn't get packaged for that price. <laughs> so we sat there, we filled out the forms. And five minutes later, we are sitting in this package. Oh, boy. Flick throws the key on that baby. And I don't know whether you've ever heard a package straight eight in heat. <laughs> oh, man, he throws that key on it. Go, gong, 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 gong. You know that sound of that big starter with the big flywheel? Gong, 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 gong. Gong, 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 gong. And old friendly Fred says, just give it a couple more revs. She's been sitting a while. Let her suck in a little gas. <laughs> Let her suck it into that, to that fuel pump there. She'll get it there. And you know, you can hear it back in the tank. You know, when you get to the bottom of a soda, <laughs> you can just hear this car go, it's priming itself, you know. It had eight big cylinders like that, like buckets, you know, going up and down in there. Each one had two big valves. And that great big fat old carburetor and that supercharger just pouring it through gallon after gallon. And then all of a sudden she goes, go, 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 meow. Meow. Oh. And we're sitting there looking out over that quivering hood. 
she just lay in there. Flex says, okay, here we go. And he eases it back in the first and he lets out that clutch. And we are going down Stony Island Avenue in the angriest car in Illinois. Have you ever driven a car that really was rotten angry? The kind of car that is a, is a mechanical shark. This car did it. And we'd pull up to a stoplight, and you, you just pull it up, and it would just vibrate. And Flick says, what a car. And at the great big midnight blue sides, and I'm winding down the windows, see? I start winding the windows down, and I say, hey, Schwartz, look at the windows on this car. It had glass an inch thick. I'm telling you, like that. I says, boy, he ain't going to throw a rock through that, Schwartz. <laughs> what a car, you know. Down it comes. So we drive this baby down. We drive it down Calumet Avenue. You know it, don't you, Mel? We're driving out Calumet Avenue. All these little Huffmobiles and Oldsmobiles are driving next to us, and the guys are looking up, you know. Flick's got his arm out the window, his $65 beauty, you know, we're driving along. And it had this, it had this onyx ball on the top of the gear shift. You know that little ball that onyx looked like an eight ball, see? Flick's got a hold of that baby, see? Oh, what a car, see? Driving this thing, great big steering wheel, had knobs. And I'm looking at the dashboard. I said, gee, look at that, Schwartz. It goes up to 125. Flick says, let's try it. <laughs> So now we're out on Calumet Avenue. This is a long stretch of like, like super highway. So Flick says, okay, here we go. And he presses down on that thing. And it goes, whoo! You ever hear a supercharger cutting in? Goes, boom, 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 ow, ow. And it screamed, literally screamed. That car's going, ooh. It's sucking in gas and it's sucking in air. And you see out behind us this long line of blue smoke. It's just laying it out there, see? Well, we get that baby up to 105. And boy, I'll tell you, at 105, she just laid down there like a Pullman car, you know, just roaring down. And I'm looking out through the back window. And I said to Schwartz, hey, this has got an awful little window back here, Schwartz. A little tiny window, you know? I said, look at the little window. The glass must be five inches thick on this. <laughs> I'm looking like through a magnifying glass, you know. I'm not kidding you. It's the truth. See, and I'm, I'm back there. I'm sitting in the back, and Schwartz is up in the front. See, Bruner's over here. So we start looking around in the car, and Bruner says, for crying out loud, look at these little gimmicks. You open up, look, you can see through. There's a hole on the side. <laughs> Had little holes on the side you could open up, see, and you could stick pipes or something through, see. <laughs> What a great little car, you know. I never saw such a car. So we drove this baby home, and up the driveway at Flick's house we go, you know, ball. And this old man comes out, and he looks at this car, see. This old man was strictly a Model A type. All of his life, he's been fighting guys that own Packards. Now his own kid. You know, it's like, nor can you imagine, can you imagine this straight-laced Baptist and all of a sudden his kid turns zen? <laughs> and he starts smoking pot and he comes home and says, Dad, I had a religious revelation. He's bummed. <laughs> the old man, you know, 
Well, old man Flickinger takes a look down there and he says, he says, what a car. He says, can I take it out? And Flick says, where do we clean it up? We want to polish it first. And so the four of us with Mr. Flickinger, old Flick's dad, all four of us get out there and we've got two cans of Simonize. How many of you have ever Simonized a car? This is hell. I, you know, I, I can think of about 20 versions of hell, and one of my favorite versions of hell is to see myself forever with a can of Simonize and a, and a soggy rag and a cloth sticking out my back pocket with lint dripping out of it, and I am Simonizing a 17th-hand Hudson Terraplane. On and on we Simonized, and that thing came up, you couldn't believe it. Fantastic. It just shined. It was shining like a mirror. And then Mrs. Flickinger, Flick's mother, comes out. And she says, let me vacuum the inside. And she's got the little vacuum cleaner, you know, with the thing. So she gets out, and she's this lady with the flowered print dress, you know. And she starts vacuuming inside, and I'm working on the hood, and Flick's working on the grill, and the old man's working on the tire covers. Here it is, and the whole neighborhood is looking at this thing. Mrs. Flickinger then says, can I take the back seat out? And Flick says, yeah. <laughs> and she lifts it up and you're, ah! Let me tell you, I never saw anything in my life. You talk about accessories. <laughs> the back seat lifted out and here's, here clamped on the, on the back firewall, clamped is a sawed off shotgun. Have you ever actually seen one, friend? This little angry sawed-off shotgun, it was about, it must have been about a three-bore. Must have been about a three-gauge. It was about that big, you know? And it had about seven mortar shells clamped on either side. And yeah, and over here, just laying right like this, was a Thompson submachine gun, clipped to the back. Mrs. Flickinger gets out of the car. And she says, is that the tire pump? <laughs> and Flick, you know, Flick takes a look at this, you know, Flick's a kid, and he says, wow, this is great, wow. <laughs> oh, wow, you know. And Schwartz, you know, immediately, he were, all, all three of us, you know, the kids were all back there, holy smokes, and Flick's dad is white. <laughs> He says, where did you get this car? The Flick says, uh, and we realized we were not supposed to tell where we got it. Flick says, well, we bought it on Stony Island. The old man says, back it in the garage. Back in the garage quick. And we turn this thing around, we back it in the garage. By the way, it didn't fit. Four feet stuck out, you know. Big chrome teeth looking out, you know. That baby is just laying there. This is, this is a car that's meant for real business. This is not exactly the car you take to the supermarket. Unless you're going there for a certain reason. Well, that car lay in there, you know, and for one solid week, Mr. Flick would not let his kid touch it. And then one day, a big blue car pulled out in front. And there were two guys with blue suits. 
and they got out, and we're all out there in the back playing around with the hood. You know, we're polishing this baby. We're going to get ready to use this thing, see, when hunting season comes. (laughs) And they walk back just like this. Have you ever seen this happen? Well, I was there. These two guys walk back. They just come back, you know, they... You know, there's a sound when, when the law arrives of a lot of things creaking and clinking. You can hear belts creaking. They walk back and hear these big 38 slapping their thighs. Which one of you kids owns this car? Four of us look. Flicks as I do. He says, well, you'll have to come down to the station with me. You don't own it anymore. And they got in the car, and they drove down to the station. They just took it away. Flick came back, and he had a receipt that said, Received one getaway car. <laughs> that car, believe it or not, was a car that had at one time been owned by the Al Capone mob. And it had found its way on this used car lot, where and how, I'll never know. But Flick, for one brief instant, had the necessary. (laughs) What a moment. Oh, by the way, uh, speaking of uh, gangsters, what radio station is this, gang? Come on. And where are we? Oh, the Big Apple. (laughs) You know, when I think of that, uh, uh, the the whole mystique of used cars, though, Seriously, this this car, that's a true story about that fantastic car. And you know, ever since that day, Flick never once, there was always that look of loss about him. And when we would be sitting in high school, Flick would talk about his great car. He'd say, oh boy. Boy, can't you just see us pulling up in front of Hammond High? All guns blazing. You know, we just go past the front office. Pow! Ah, that's for that C plus, you know. Oh, yeah, the dreams of glory. But you see, cars always have represented that. Have you noticed what they name cars? I mean, take take a look at some of the names of cars today. You can see that we're dealing with dreams. I mean, Electra. That's a great name. Uh, a lot of guys are married to her. You know, and, and this car somehow says it. Electra. I'm waiting for the day when they come out with the Buick Oedipus. <laughs> you know, it's a real shiny car. <laughs> and you can stand there and look at yourself in it, you know. And before you get in and it shines and it's got these great big chrome symbols in the front there, see. Everything. Incidentally, I, I'm waiting, you know, since most cars, have you noticed that this one ad, have you seen this ad? Have you seen this ad? It's a full-page ad. It appeared in, in the New Yorker here a couple of months ago. And it said, Why don't you take a drive in Thunderbird country? I wonder where that is. I mean, is it over there near Secaucus anywhere? You know, Thunderbird country. There it is, Thunderbird country. And there's this whole big ad, and it's done in this beautiful kind of Wizard of Oz color. The sky is light orange fading off to purple. And there's a little touch of green and there's kind of like silver flecks in it. Oh, wouldn't you love to live in Thunderbird country? I wonder what nationality you'd be. I mean, you know, can you imagine yourself? I'm Charlie Brown. I live in Thunderbird country. And it's on your passport. 
and you go to Thunderbird High. And there it is. It's Thunderbird Country, see? And here's the, here's the saddest ad I think I've ever seen. And you look up, you're looking up a hill, and you see the back of this car, and it's a convertible, see? The top is down. And they're kind of heading off into, it looks like they're about to take off into space. And here's this guy, and he's, he's leaning back over the cowling, you know? He's leaning back like this, and he's as bald as a billiard ball. You see that one? He's leaning back, and sitting next to him is Lolita. She's about 12, see, and she's looking up at him with this fantastic look of love. That's Thunderbird country. And I thought, oh boy, isn't that sad? How would you like to live in Mustang country? Well, apparently all they do is smoke like nuts in Mustang country. You know, ever, have you noticed that nobody coughs in Mustang country? In Marlboro country, nobody coughs. You know, there's one now. He's a Winston smoker. Well, anyway, I will never forget, though, one of the big moments and one of the awful moments in my life came as the result of the used car ceremony. In the Midwest, this is a religious ceremony. And my father would live from car to car. He measured his life. You know, whenever I think of T.S. Eliot, and Eliot says you measure out your life in coffee spoons, not my old man. He measured his life out in bad transmissions. And, and each era in his life would be, that was when we had the Hupmobile. Or uh, he would never measure it like when my brother was 12 or the time my mother fell down the steps and broke her collarbone. He would always say, oh, I know, that was when we had the Pontiac 6. That was the year we had the DeSoto. And every year was a car. And I, I can see my mother now. You know, it's funny how women hate this. Women do not like to hear about cars because to a male... A car is a sexual symbol. A genuine rival. Really is. And my mother would, would be hanging over the sink, you know. She's cleaning with... She's got a couple of, couple of Brillo pads. Yeah, I always see her with the Brillo pads and she's got the rump-sprung chenille bathrobe. It's Chinese red. And it's got the big lapels with the egg on it. And she's got her hair up in curlers. And she's got that Brillo pad going and the sink is dripping. And all of a sudden, you hear that car come up the backyard, you know, whoom, up the driveway. And you hear the old man, he's running up the back porch. And it was the way he would walk. It was the time of the year. My mother would know. It's like migration time. It's like the time that the salmon spawn. She knew. She would hunch lower over the sink. She knows what she's going to hear. The old man comes in and he says, hey... Listen, uh, I got a surprise. My mother gets lower over the sink. He says, listen, how about let's us going out for a ride tonight? He'd wait. And of course, the kids immediately, yeah, yeah, Dad, well, let's go for a ride. My mother says, not on Stony Island. No, man, says, oh, no, uh, <laughs> uh, well, uh, Actually, uh, uh, she says, all right, what is it now? What, what, what is it this time? He says, well, I have been looking at a Hupmobile. And my mother said, and I, I remember this phrase always, it's one of the saddest words to come out of the mouth of man. She says, why can't we just once own a car? 
we haven't even finished paying for the last one. And the old man says, yeah, but pretty soon we're going to have to start putting money into it, you know. And it's no sense of that old jazz, you know. Actually, what he was really saying is, I need a new girl. I'm tired of the Pontiac that I fell in love with a year and a half ago. That Pontiac now is like old shoe, you know. Gee whiz, you know, she doesn't fight me anymore. And what I need is a new woman. My mother looks back over her shoulder and she says, all right, get dressed, kids. And so into the job we go and we're getting all dressed up, you know, wow, we're going out for a ride, we're going to look at a used car. And we drive out in the Pontiac, the car that my father had loved so. And now he's saying things like, listen to them bad valves. Oh, boy, the clutch on this thing is rotten. And listen to the back end. Listen to the back end. My brother says, I don't hear anything. He says, listen, listen. She says, I don't hear anything. He said, well, it's making noise. And we drive down to Friendly Fred's, and there it sits. This was the source of one of the great legends in our home. There it was. This week's special. Have you ever seen this week's special with the flags flying? And all those lights shining on it? This week's radio special. Come on down and pick it up. A Presbyterian minister with partially paralyzed legs. <laughs> who was unable to drive since the age of eight. Received this as a gift from his congregation. Of course he was unable to drive it. And so once a week, every Sunday after his sermon, they would carry him out and he would sit in the car and pretend he was taking a trip. And now he is selling it to you. It's like new. And there it sits, a Hupmobile. Now, the Hupmobile is a now extinct car. You will know why. <laughs> and the old man, you know, he's been walking past this car. You know how it is, men? All of you know this scene. You all, all of you work in an office. You're good at school. You know how for weeks you walk past a girl, a new chick in the, steno in, in, in the stenographic pool, a new secretary, and you keep seeing her. You walk past every day, and you're getting warmer and warmer. She's noticing you now. At the end of the first week, she says, hello. You say, hi. <laughs> and then pretty soon, you meet by accident next to the water cooler. And you say, may I draw you a spig of the water, please? And then the water cooler goes, Boom! It's belching. <laughs> and she thought it was you. <laughs> she has gracefully turned away. <laughs> it's a water cooler. And just then that hamburger you ate yesterday goes, Boom! You know, these little things, you know, suddenly you begin to make contact with your love. And for about a month, the old man has been driving past this Hupmobile. And the Hupmobile has been winking at him. Oh, yeah, you know, cars do that. And they're laying out there, you see. And you know, there's a special way used car dealers treat cars. You know that. They have special light bulbs. You ever seen those naked light bulbs that hang over those used cars? Let me tell you, a wheelbarrow would look shiny under them. They're specially made to make bad pitted paint look great. Yeah, they do, you know, that's a fact. And so they put this glaze over them and those light bulbs and these cars shine like jewels. And you wonder what kind of a nut got rid of these things. 
What kind of an idiot got rid of that beautiful dark green Huffmobile? And it's just laying there, see? And it's winking. It's wiggling its little behind, you know? And the old man walks around it, see? And he says, now, just look at that. He says, look at that car. Isn't that a beautiful car? And my mother already sees that book with the 36 little stamps in it. You know, because every time my father looked at a new car, you know, whenever we went to look at new cars, he always looked at it as to how it would look eight years from then. He saw all new cars as used cars. And he would judge them that way, see? Well, my mother saw all used cars as the next one. One after the other, she'd see these things. And so we walk around. The old man kicks the tires. You ought to see a real Midwestern used car buyer. They get this, I don't know, there's something about them. They get this, this, this animal vitality. It's like closing in for the final moments of the kill. You know, you can make all kinds of analogies sexual to this thing. He's all of a sudden eight feet tall. The old man spitting. You know, usually he's a little thin guy with glasses. You know, now he's got fangs. He said, look at that. Look at that tire. Oh. Yeah. He's walking around. Just, you mind if I open the hood, Charlie? And he says, yeah, go ahead. See, he's got my old man. You know, have you ever fished for smallmouth bass? <laughs> Especially with a dry fly. About the first two or three casts, the smallmouth just looks at it. And he backs away with his fins gone. <laughs> He's got a gills, you know. And then you just gently pick it up and you, you know, you lay it down, shoo, and it flops down there just so gently next to the lily pad. And then he'll go. And you're watching him, see. <laughs> you jiggle it a little bit, see. And the fly flutters and he goes. And you say, come on, baby, let's go. Come on, baby. And then you flick it back again, see, and he backs away. Where did that damn fly go? He's waiting, see. And then you just... Whew, whew. You know you got him coming, see. You can see the red of his eyes. Then you lay it down. Tink. Then he backs away. See. Okay, baby, here I come. He opens his mouth wide. Ah! Wow! And then you lay it into him. You lay it in him, and 30 seconds later, he's eight feet up in the air. This is the biggest fly that ever hit him. You know, holy smoke. Boy, what a mosquito bite. Well, that's the old man. He is now with the fins gone. He's got the gills, the red eyes, and we are the small fry, the spawn. We're hollering, Daddy, no. You know, oh, gee whiz, wow, look at that fly. And my mother keeps saying, we don't, we don't really need a new car. She always had that panicky thing that my dad was going to lose the job. We would owe on the refrigerator, on the Huffmobile. We would owe on the radio. It's all on top of her. She keeps saying, no, uh, it is nice, though, because she dug the old man. She had to say it. And he says, look at these doors. Watch this now. Clunk. Ding. It jiggles, you know. And now friendly Fred is about to set the hook. Here's the way they do it. 
Old Friendly comes out. He's, you know, this is pretty, this is pretty goodbye. He said, I'm going to have to tell you something, though. A guy just was in about 20 minutes ago and put $10 down on it. Guy's already held it. Don't know what I can do for you. And the old man says, oh, no, it's been sold. And with that, he hits the fly full belt. He is up in the air. You can see his gills gone, his mouth. And 10 seconds later, he's sitting next to Friendly. And the old man's got his money out. He's laying down his $50 down. They are signing the papers. And we are now in the creel. There we sit. We get out and we get into the car. Now comes that awful moment. The old man has run the motor. He's gunned it. He's felt the steering wheel. The kids have tried the back seat. My mother has tried the front seat, and now it is our car. How many of you know that terrible moment of leaving your old car? The car that the kids were sick in and threw up all over the back seat. The car that Aunt Min lost her teeth in that time. The car that took you to Starve Rock that time in spite of the fact that the radiator boiled over. You know, the old Pontiac scene. And my dad is in there, and he's getting the stuff out of the glove compartment. My mother's standing next to it. Gee. Well, I guess the Hupmobile's kind of nice. And the kids are, you know, we're running away. And we get into this new car. You know, it's a sad thing when, when, when a man leaves his old love for a new love. It is sad, no question. No question about it, even if she's got a bad transmission. Even if her valve's rattled. Somehow, there is something inside. And we get in the car, this new Hupmobile. The old man says, well, it's ours. My mother says, yes, it is, isn't it? 36 months from now, it's ours. And he starts it, you know, boom, it's got that beautiful sound. Oh, that motor just rolls out. And we get out on Stony Island, and it's dark. And they're parked on the curb all by itself, looking kind of tired, was the car that 15 times personally I had Simonized. Every Saturday morning, my old man gave me a quarter to Simonize it. My mother had vacuumed out the back, and there was our old Pontiac. And my kid brother goes, Yeah, it's itchy. The back is itchy. The new pen. The old man says, oh, son, now, come on, now, you'll get used to it. It's all right. What a nice car. Oh, isn't this great? And my mother's sitting there, and she's got her flowered hat on. The new car. God knows how many people had owned it before us. How many times had things unspeakable happened in this back seat? Who knows what involved tragedies had occurred in this Hupmobile? Little did we realize another one was about to occur. We went two and a half blocks into the darkness when we came to the Roseland streetcar tracks, Mel. You know where they cut across 111th Street? There were the streetcar. There's a big bump. We go like this. And all of a sudden, the front of the car is facing the back. We're going sideways down the street. It's got a balsa wood frame. And it shimmies. 
And the old man at first pretends nothing's happened. <laughs> Except now the kids are riding up even with the father, you know. My mother says, what's the matter with this car? My father says, nothing. My mother says, what do you mean, nothing? I'm facing backwards. <laughs> he says, nothing. She says, we are taking this car back. He says, but you can't take a used car back. She says, we are taking it back. And with that, we turned around. By the way, the car turned around by itself. All I did let go. Around it went. We drove back to the used car lot. My mother got out and walked back to this little shack, knocked on the door. The guy walks out, hands her the keys to the Pontiac, <laughs> says, give me, the, give me the keys to that heap. He says, you're the fourth one this week. We got back in the Pontiac and back into happiness. We sat down. The old man turns the car on, you know, brum, 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 brum. and immediately my kid brother's asleep in the back seat. My mother's sitting there and she says, shall we get some ice cream? And he says, yeah. How about the uh, banana? My mother says, uh, banana. And we drove on and got a quart of banana ice cream and the Hupmobile was never again mentioned. Somewhere out in the darkness, some poor fool is about to buy it. <laughs> Let's give him a hand. This is WOR Radio, your station for news.